Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, how many of you guys are looking forward to an amazing sermon today? How many of you have been praying, you've been reading ahead, you've been studying? One person is excited for today. You're looking forward to an amazing, awesome sermon. You got your study guide, you know what's coming, and today you know that we're going to be talking about Jesus versus Satan. There you are, you're welcome. Today, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about crazy religious people, uh, Jesus, Satan, demons, spiritual warfare, and the unfair forgivable sin. You're welcome. This is just like a normal family dinner at my house. That's sort of the things that we're talking about. So Jesus versus Satan, that's the sermon today. And if you're new here, there's something that's very important for you to understand about redemption. We teach in a way that is called expositional preaching. Have you ever heard of that? Big fancy word. Go ahead and say it with me. Expositional preaching. Go ahead. You, yeah, you guys sound so smart. That's a big college word. You can go and impress your friends. What that means is that we study the Bible, that we pick a book and we live in that book. And so we find ourselves in the book of Mark. We've been in this book for 16 weeks already. It's only chapter three and we have 16 more chapters to go. We're going to be in this book for two years. And I was thinking about it. um, What better way is there to spend two years than studying from the most amazing person in the history of the world? just learning from the life of Jesus. So we're going to be spending two years studying Mark. And here's the reason that this is so important. One for me as your pastor, because it makes me actually preach the Bible that I can't just come here and, you know, give my opinion and make some stuff up and think, oh, you know, what would be an amazing sermon? Let's talk about this. No, I actually, I have to be accountable to what the word says. And this is in here. So that means it's good for you that God wants you to know it. God wants you to learn it so that you can apply it to your life. And so it holds me accountable as your pastor to preach the Bible. Trust me, I didn't wake up this week and think, you know what's really going to get them? Let's talk about Satan, demons, and the unforgivable sin, because that would be a great way to grow the church. That's not what I thought, but the best way to grow the church is by preaching the word. Amen? And so the number one thing is, it holds me accountable as your pastor, but two, that it allows you to be able to study the Bible for yourself, that you learn how to read the Bible and study the Bible, and not just the parts that you like, not just the parts that show up on your daily reading plan from your YouVersion app, not the parts that make you feel comfortable, that give you warm, fuzzy feelings, but even the difficult parts, even the challenging parts, even the parts that you don't really understand, that you don't have to be fearful or afraid when it comes to reading your Bible because, well, now you know how to handle the text. And so today we're going to dive into one of those very challenging texts. It's in Mark chapter three, starting in verse 22. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. And the sermon title today is Jesus versus Satan. So you guys ready? Okay, good, because we're going to do it anyway. Here's what it says, verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, okay? The scribes, those are the religious leaders, that they're the teachers of the law. They are like the pastors, teachers, the seminary professors. They're the ones with the PhDs. They're educated beyond their intelligence. These are the scribes. They spend all day in a library reading books with notes and footnotes, and they write additional books. One book is called the Mashal, that it is seen as equally authoritative as the Old 
Testament. I mean, these guys, these are the leaders. See, when you come into Mark's gospel, you'll meet a group of men known as the Pharisees. That's most likely what we're familiar with when it comes to religion in first century Judaism, the Pharisees. But the Pharisees, they're just more like the average blue collar, working class religious people, that they're the ones who enforce the laws, but they're not the ones who actually write them. And so the Pharisees, they're obviously getting in fights with Jesus and they're a little nervous because they see what Jesus is doing. So they call up to headquarters in Jerusalem and they say, hey, you guys, y'all need to come down here. This Jesus guy, he's going to mess everything up because there's great crowds following him. Lots of people are coming to him that he just called the 12 disciples. They're getting a little organized. This movement is starting to cause some serious damage. We're losing our influence. And so you guys, the scribes, y'all need to come down from Jerusalem and y'all need to take care of this. And so the scribes, they come down and they're going to make an accusation against Jesus that they are going to begin to accuse him and try to discredit him and his ministry. So that's the scribes. They come down from Jerusalem and they were saying that he being Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. That's their charge. And he called to them. That's Jesus saying, hey, scribes, come here. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, then he is divided. He cannot stand, but it is coming to an end. No one can enter into the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, truly, I say to you, that means amen, amen. You can take this to the bank. It's very important. Listen, all sins will be forgiven of the children of man whatever they blaspheme and blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but he is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying that he has an unclean spirit. That's Mark's word for demon. That they were accusing Jesus of being possessed by a demon. Here's Mark so far. Mark chapter one, Jesus comes out and he begins preaching. The first words out of Jesus's mouth is repent, believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The number one theme that Jesus preaches on more than anything else in the entire Bible, not just love and grace and forgiveness and doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. All those things are very important. They're aspects of this massive major theme that Jesus talks about, and it's the kingdom of God. The first words out of Jesus's mouth is the kingdom of God is at hand. That word, it means God's rule, God's reign, God's sovereignty, God's inbreaking authority at work in this world and evident in everything that we do and everything that we see. It's the major theme in Mark's gospel that Jesus comes to bring this kingdom. So when Jesus preaches, he's revealing the kingdom of God. When Jesus teaches, He's revealing the kingdom of God. When Jesus heals, when Jesus performs a miracle, when he welcomes people to himself, when he calls the disciples, he's showing us what it means to be welcomed into this kingdom, what it means to be called into this kingdom. When Jesus gets in fights with the Pharisees, that's revealing the kingdom of God. And when Jesus casts out demons, he is revealing the kingdom of God because Jesus' kingdom is in constant conflict, battle, war with another kingdom. Today, what we're 
we're going to see is that there are two kingdoms, there are two enemies, there are two adversaries that are, are at war with one another. It's Jesus versus Satan. That there's the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, and then there's the kingdom of Jesus. That there is light, there is darkness, there is good, there is evil, there is truth, there is lies. It's not just one, it's two. Two kingdoms at war with one another. And this war has been raging since the very beginning. For millennia, this war has been happening between Jesus and Satan. When you go to your Bible and you open up, in the beginning there was God. That God existed eternally, satisfied within himself. That there was no beginning, there was no end. That God always existed in what is known as the Trinity. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And there is equal love and adoration and worship and respect within this Trinity. And God, he created what is spirit beings. These are known as angels. And these angels, they were created to worship him, to serve him, and to give him glory. And there was one angel, his name was Lucifer. His name literally means light. And he was the chief angel. He was the head angel. And his job was to stand behind God and to radiate God's glory all across the universe. Ezekiel 22 tells us that Lucifer, he became puffed up, that he became arrogant, that he became proud, and he led an insurrection, rebellion, a war against God. And he gathered with him one-third of all of the angels, and they amounted this war, this cosmic epic battle against God in heaven. And God, he cast Satan down from heaven to earth. His name is no longer Lucifer, which means light. It is Satan, which is darkness. And he goes from heaven to earth to where now he brings this war to people just like you and me. The first casualties of this war were our first parents, Adam and Eve. That God made Adam and Eve in his image and likeness. He placed them in a beautiful garden and said, you can have dominion. You can, you can do anything that you want to do. Minus one thing. Do not partake of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And they had this dominion. They had God's presence. They had God's relationship. And then the serpent comes to them and he lies to them. That he deceives them. That he tricks them and says, surely God did not say that. They fall for the lie. That they sinned, they rebelled, they fell, they separated themselves from God. They believed the lie of the serpent and they handed over their dominion to Satan. To where Satan now, he has dominion over this world. That they have become slaves to the serpent. They have become servants of Satan because they've been given over into their sin. Every single person who has ever been born is born into this. That we are totally depraved. We are bent in towards self and sin. We are given towards self-righteousness. And this is the effects of Satan at work in this world. They handed over their dominion. The Bible calls that Satan is the ruler of the air. That he is the ruler over this world. That he is the king of darkness. And we see Satan's work and effects at work infecting every aspect of our lives. So whenever you look around and you see war and injustice and famine, that is the work of Satan. When you see racism and prejudice, when you see hurts and hardships and devastation, when you see famines and when you see people suffering, all of that is, is the effects of this war. That you and I, we are born into a war-torn country. This is a war. And we find ourselves in the middle of this. And most of us, we don't recognize this because we become so accustomed to living in war that we don't see it all around us. And a lot of people wonder, they say, how come we don't see Satan and demons the way that they did in the Bible or the way that they do in other places? We do, you're just not paying attention. You have shell shock. 
that you've been hit and you've been shot so much in your life. You're so used to seeing things crumble and fall down all around you that you just think that it's normal because you were born into a war-torn country. And so if you want to notice it, just turn on your TV. Turn on your TV, flip through the channels, watch the news. And when you see what is happening, the devastation that is going on in our world, and you wonder, how on earth can this happen? How on earth could this be? It's because you're in the middle of a war. When you look at your family and there's just generations after generations of sin that your father was an alcoholic, his father was an alcoholic, and his father was an alcoholic, and you're an alcoholic, and you're worried about your children because that's, that's war against your family. When you look at other people's lives and it just seems like there's such depression, such hurt, such hardships, that there is such anxiety, that pain and suffering is so great and you don't understand why it is the way that it is and there is no relief and there is no respite and you wonder, how could this be? It's because we are victims of a war. And when you look at your own life and you see sin, repeated patterns of habitual sin, you feel stuck, you feel helpless, you feel hopeless, and you wonder, is this who I am? Is this the way that it is? Is this the way that it is always going to be? Why is life this way? It's because you find yourself in the middle of a war that you have shell shock, you have post-traumatic stress syndrome due to this spiritual warfare that you find yourself in. We are in a war. And just as Satan was cast down from heaven, he leaves heaven and enters into this world to bring war against you and against me. Jesus also leaves heaven and he enters into this world. That Satan comes to bring destruction, but Jesus has come to bring deliverance. That Jesus sees us and he decides that he is going to do something about it. And that Jesus is our great warrior king. He gets off his throne. He enters into this world to bring battle against the enemy of darkness, to bring hope to the hopeless, to bring healing to those who are hurt, to bring light into the darkness, that there is hope, there is healing, there is life where there once was death, and Jesus comes and he brings this war to Satan because Jesus is of another kingdom. There is two kingdoms that are at work in this world, and we see it in Mark's gospel. That Mark's gospel, there are five different occasions in the first three chapters where we see this constant conflict and this combat take place. That Jesus, he comes and he is baptized. And it's at his baptism as he goes into the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, empowering him, enabling him so that he can accomplish this great mission he was sent for. Because he was sent on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost, to deliver the captives, to set people free. And the Holy Spirit empowers them. And as soon as he goes from the water, he goes directly into the wilderness. That in the wilderness, he, Satan comes to him with the temptation. The same way Satan came to tempt our first parents in the garden, he comes to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus overcomes that temptation. He lays the first blow against Satan as he brings the battle to his own battleground. And Jesus comes through the first round victorious. And as soon as Jesus goes from the wilderness, he moves right into the front lines of the battle. And Jesus, he storms the beach. And as the light shines into the darkness, the shadows, they are exposed. Demons begin to manifest. And the first miracle that Jesus performs in Mark's gospel is casting out a demon. Shots have been fired. The war is on. We're in chapter 3. We've already seen five occasions where Jesus exercises his authority over Satan and demons. 
If my memory serves me correct, there are 14 stories that we're going to study throughout Mark's gospel that deals with spiritual warfare, Satan, and the demonic. There's 25 other occasions where Mark, he writes about this particular aspect of Jesus's ministry. Basically, you can't read a section, a chapter without encountering Satan and demons, right? By the time we finish this study, you guys are going to be, you guys are going to be very aware of Satan and demons. You're going to be Jesus-loving, spirit-filled, Satan-hating, demon-punching, spiritual warriors by the time we finish our study in the book of Mark, because you can't, you can't come across a section without encountering this. We see it over and over and over again, that Satan is real, demons are real, Jesus is real, and that they are at war with one another. And so today, what we're going to see is this play out. We're going to see Jesus versus Satan, good versus evil, light versus darkness, and the scribes, they're going to have an accusation they make against Jesus. So here's where we're at, verse 22. Here's how this plays out. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, they were saying that he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. They're accusing Jesus of working with Satan. Okay, now here's what you'll notice. They don't say "Mm, Satan's not real. No, because they believe in that. And they don't say that demons aren't real because they also believe in that. And they're not saying that you can't cast out demons because they believe that. And they're also not saying that Jesus doesn't cast out demons. They're agreeing that Jesus is doing these things. The problem is, is they're accusing Jesus of doing it by the power of Satan himself. That Jesus is casting out demons because the demons allow him to do it. This is a very serious accusation. They say he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. What they're trying to do is they're trying to discredit Jesus's ministry. This is a very serious accusation because they're losing their influence. They don't want people coming and listening and learning and falling in love with Jesus and following after him because they're losing their influence. They've been over you know, Jewish systems for 500 years. This is the way that it's been. Jesus comes up and he sh- starts to ruin everything. So they think we have to figure out a way to get people to stop following him. I know we'll accuse him of being possessed by a demon. So the only reason that Jesus can preach is because he's possessed by a demon. Yeah, Jesus, he has some amazing teachings. That's because it's demonically inspired. That Jesus can heal, he does perform miracles, and he can even cast out demons, but that's because Satan has enabled and allowed him to do so. This is a very serious accusation that they're making against him because it was a very religious day. First century Judaism, very serious, very devoted, not like the way we treat religion today. I mean, they, it, it was a part of every aspect of their life. And so for them to make this charge, that would make Jesus a false teacher. That would mean that Jesus would be a false prophet. He'd be a false healer. He would be a heretic. And according to Jewish law, they could take him outside right now. They could stone him. They could beat him. They could murder him. Forget the cross. Jesus could die today. Forget 16 chapters of Mark. We could end at Mark chapter three. This is a very serious deal. And Jesus, he's in fight with the Pharisees, and he's going to have to defend himself. He's going to have to respond to this accusation. And so Jesus, he does. Okay, just so you know, Jesus, he's pretty savage. Okay, Jesus, he, he doesn't just let you walk all over him. He's going to have a response back. He's not the Jesus that we think of, like the, you know, the flannel graphs in Sunday school, where he's just sitting there wearing a dress, all meek, and just has a lamp pulled over his side, and just says, okay, guys, if y'all could come to me, that will be amazing. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Right, the Jesus of the Bible, he's going to fight back. And so Jesus, he has something to say towards these Pharisees. He's going to tell them three parables, and he's going to make one charge against them. So here's what we see. There is two kingdoms, 
And in verse 23, and he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. Jesus says, how can Satan cast out Satan? It just doesn't make any sense. Why would he shoot himself? Right? Have you ever seen ISIS attack ISIS? No. It would be amazing if they did that, but that's just not the way that it works. Jesus equates this idea of kingdom to that of a civil war. Right? In America, the civil war that we fought, it almost destroyed our nation. Sociologists and historians don't even understand how we survived. It was the bloodiest battle that has ever happened in our history. More people died in the civil war than in any other war combined that we have faced. Okay, it was brother against brother. It was family that had become enemies. It was a nation literally divided and everything collapsed and everything fell apart. And Jesus says, that's exactly what would happen if Satan rose up against Satan. That if Satan cast out demons in the name of Satan, it would be like a civil war. That nation, that kingdom, it would be divided against itself and it would not be able to stand. Jesus is saying, I represent another kingdom. That the reason there are these attacks, the reason that people are being free, the reason that there is hope is not because I represent Satan, it's because I represent another kingdom. Jesus is saying there are two kingdoms that are at war right here. The second one is similar. He says, there are two houses. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself, he is divided and he cannot stand, but he is coming to an end. Here, Jesus, he picks up on the theme of Beelzebul. Okay, you notice the word in there? It says that by the power of Beelzebul. Okay, Beelzebul is an ancient Canaanite deity, false god, okay, which comes from the word Baal Zebul, which literally means Lord of the house. Jesus is saying, okay, Satan is Lord of the house and that he has a house. And if he divides his house, well, that's going to fall apart. He doesn't want to destroy his own house. And what is it that makes up a house? Okay, it's really the foundation. And if you remove that foundation, everything begins to collapse. So think about Satan's foundation. All he wants is to lead you astray, to lie to you, to deceive you, and ultimately to lead to your death. And when we are following in this foundation, it always leads to death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. The second death, it leads to death. And Jesus says, this is Satan's foundations, lies, deceit, error, and death. How can you accuse me of removing his foundation and expect his house to continue to stand? That I have come to cut his house in half and to remove that foundation. I don't come with lies, I come with truth that I don't come with with destruction, I come with deliverance, that I don't come with death, I have come to bring life. It doesn't make sense to cut a house in half. I'm not an architect, but I could tell you that's not the way that it works. And so he tells the Pharisees, your accusations, they do not stand, pun intended. Okay, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, the third one is also similar, but it's a little different. He says there are two masters. Verse seven, but no one can enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder the house. Here we see that there are two masters that are opposed against one another. And Jesus refers to this one master as the strong man. Baal Zebul is the Lord of the house. And this is the strong man's house that he owns it. He rules over it. And every single person who lives in that house, they belong to him that he is the master, that he torments and tortures, that he holds people hostage and captive, and that he manipulates over them because he is his, he is their master. He is the Lord of the house. He is the strong man. And everyone who is born is born into this house. Every single person who has been born has been born into this house that is ruled over by Satan. 
I know that's not popular to say, but it is very important for you to understand. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about it, that we are slaves to darkness, following the prince of the air and the ruler of this world. We have joined him in the rebellion. That when we sin, that we are joining in into servants. We are slaves to our sin. And every single person who has ever been born is born into Satan's house. Okay, it's not popular to say, but that is very important for us to understand biblically. And there is nothing you can do to get out of it that you are helpless, you are hopeless, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you fight, no matter how tough you think you are, he is tougher. No matter how strong you think you are, he is stronger because he is the strong man. All of your good works, worthless. All of your good deeds, pointless because there's nothing you can do to rise up against him. If you want to be set free, you're going to have to have somebody else to come in to bind that strong man and then he can set you free and then he can plunder those goods. You're going to have to have somebody else to come in and bind this strong man. And Jesus says, that's me. That I have come to bind the strong man. That Jesus leaves heaven. He enters into this world. He lives the perfect life. The life without sin. He dies the painful death in your place. The death because of your sin. He is on that mission to seek you and to save you. Jesus has come to kick down that door. Bind the strong man so that he can set you free. Jesus says, that's me that I am the true strong man and have come to set people free from serving sin and being bound in their sin and their hurts and their hardships and their pain and their difficulty. I have come as the true strong man to deliver people. And Jesus says, why would I come and deliver people if I wanted to lead them to death? It doesn't make any sense. And so according to Jesus, their accusations, it doesn't stand. And so Jesus, he gets in this little fight with the Pharisees. He gives them three parables, but Jesus, he has another accusation that he's going to make against them. Jesus is going to turn the tables against the scribes and the Pharisees because not only does Jesus fight against Satan and demons, he also fights against religion. Because religion in of itself, it is demonic. That it is demonically inspired, is satanically influenced. It's the religious people who murdered Jesus. We don't want you to be religious. We want you to be a Christian. And so behind religion ultimately is another demonic attack. And so they're fighting Jesus. He turns the tables and he's going to make an accusation against them. He says, there are two kingdoms. There are two houses. There are two masters, but you only have two choices. And here's how Jesus says it. Verse 28, truly I say to you, he says, this is a promise. Truly means amen. Normally amen comes at the end of a statement, but Jesus, he makes it at the very beginning. He's saying, this is truth that this is reliable. You need to pay attention to this because this is very important. You can take this to the bank. I mean this. I say to you, all sins will be forgiven of the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness because he is guilty of an eternal sin. How many of you ever heard of the eternal sin? The unpardonable sin is what other people say, um, or the unforgivable sin, right? A lot of people say, oh, Jesus, you know, he sees all sin exactly the same. That there is no difference between a person's sin. That you sin this way, I sin that way. You know, we're all equal in regards to our sin. There is no difference when it comes to sin. You ever heard that? Okay, according to Jesus, that's not true. According to Jesus, there is one thing that if you do this one thing, then you are guilty of an unforgivable, eternal sin. There is no forgiveness for you if you do this one thing. Okay, here Jesus says that all sin will be forgiven. Okay, all sin will be forgiven. Whatever you could do, whatever you think, 
Right, Jesus, he can forgive that. He can forgive lies and cheating, adultery. He can forgive abuse. He can forgive murder, genocide. I mean, you could just think, just name the worst thing that you could imagine. And whatever it is, Jesus, he says, I can forgive that. Jesus says, you can even blaspheme against me personally. You can spit on me. You can accuse me. You can punch me. You can beat me. You can hate me. And you can do all of those things. You can even crucify me. And if you turn and you repent of your sins and you come to me, I will welcome you with open arms and I will forgive you. I meet a lot of people and they say, they say, Pastor, Jesus just can't forgive me. You don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done, but I know what Jesus has done and he can forgive you. People say, but I've run too far. Fine. Whenever you got there, he was already waiting for you. You cannot outrun. You cannot outsend the grace of God. There is nothing that you could do to outsend the grace of God. There is nothing you could do to outsend the love of God. There is nothing that you could do to outsend the forgiveness of God. Your sin is not greater than Jesus. I attest you. I promise you to that. Whatever you do, whatever you think, whatever you imagine, Jesus says, I can forgive that. That all sins. What does he mean by all sins, apparently everything but one. There is one thing. If you do this one thing, there is no forgiveness for you. And here's what he says. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. They never have forgiveness because they're guilty of this eternal sin. Satan, demons, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to have my job right about now? You ever heard of the unforgivable sin? Okay, let's talk about it. I meet a lot of people and they they come to me and they have tears in their eyes. And as a pastor, I I need to address these things. And they're very worried. They think I've committed the eternal sin. I've committed the unforgivable sin. There is no forgiveness for me. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. And a lot of these people, they come from Pentecostal backgrounds or very crazy, overly charismatic churches. And they think, well, you know, I was taught that if you resist the Holy Spirit, if you quench the Holy Spirit, if you grieve the Holy Spirit, then you're guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I have grieved the Spirit. I have quenched the Spirit. I don't believe in, you know, the spiritual gifts or I've never spoken in tongues. I've resisted the Spirit. I'm guilty of blasphemy. And a lot of Pentecostal, United Pentecostal or crazy charismatic churches, they'll say, if you don't speak in tongues, you're going to hell because that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe in the spiritual gifts, well, then that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so you don't want to do those. So you need to do exactly what I say. It's fear. It's manipulation. It's demonic on those pastors to put that on you. That's not what it means. I also meet other people coming from very hard shell, independent, fundamental Baptist backgrounds. And they'll come, they say, you know, I've committed the eternal sin. God cannot forgive me because I have backslidden. That they'll equate backsliding with that eternal sin. They'll say, once saved, always saved. Twice lost, always lost. There is no hope for you. And a lot of people feel, you know, I, I loved the Lord when I was a little kid. I, you know, I went to see you at the pole. I had the Jesus Pieces t-shirt on, right? I had my WWJD bracelets, right? I, I did the, are you 100% sure? I did all of those things. And then... I got, a, I got a girlfriend, I got a job, or I went to college, and pretty soon before I know it, it's been 15, 20 years, and I've never been to church, I've never prayed, I've never read my Bible, I have gone too far, I have lost my salvation, God, he cannot love me, God, he cannot forgive me, because I've committed that eternal sin. Okay, let me say, that's not true either, okay, that's not actually what this means. What Jesus is actually talking about here is a charge against the scribes. He makes this charge against the scribes because they see the work of the Holy Spirit and they reject it. 
because they see the evidences of God at work in the world. They see the kingdom of God and they willfully choose the kingdom of darkness. That there is nothing that Jesus could say. There is nothing that Jesus could do to be able to lead them into repentance. And because they are unwilling to repent, God is unable to forgive. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when you have resisted him for so long that you willfully choose to live in this rebellion, that you choose your kingdom, that you have chosen your house, you have chosen your master, and your heart, it continues to grow harder and harder to where there is nothing Jesus could say, there is nothing Jesus could do, and you resist him. And because you will not repent, God is unable to forgive. That God is unable to forgive if you are unwilling to repent. And the scribes, their hearts were so hard. They were so indignant towards Jesus, they straight up just rejected him. And Jesus makes this charge against them. He says, you need to be careful because if you don't repent, you will not be forgiven. Without repentance, friends, there is no forgiveness. And if you hear the voice of the Spirit today, you need to make a choice. Jesus says there are two choices. You can either follow me and join in my kingdom, and you can be in my house, and I will be your master, or you've chosen your master. You've made your decision. You have made your choice. These are very strong words from Jesus, amen? And why is Jesus having this fight? Because the scribes, they accused him. They said Jesus is possessed by an unclean spirit. That's Mark's word for demon. Okay, so I know right about now, a lot of you probably have some questions. So here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time. Anytime we talk about Satan, demons, spiritual warfare, I get a lot of questions. People come to me and they're like, okay, I have never heard that before. Right, seriously, really? Like, you, you believe this? Right, I showed up for the demon sermon. Seriously? Like, I looked you guys up on Instagram. Y'all look pretty cool, right? And then I show up and you're really going to tell me that you believe in Satan and demons and the Holy Spirit? no thank you, right? I mean, this is 2018. We have science and psychology and reasoning and medicine and rationale. Nobody's head spinning around, right? Nobody's vomiting up pea soup. I mean, we're not levitating off the floor. I mean, that's just not the way that it is. And so a lot of people, you come here and you just reject it. You say, I don't really believe in that. And then others, they come in and they have a lot of questions because nobody's ever taught them. And they're like, okay, Satan, demons, that's some scary stuff, right? I've never been taught about it. I've never heard a pastor teach over it. And so you have a lot of questions because nobody has ever told you, look, this is in the book, right? I'm not making this stuff up. Jesus, he teaches on this. God, he writes about this. The Holy Spirit, he wants you to understand this so that you can begin to apply it into your life. Because the truth is we are all in this war. And if we're going to be a church, we're in this war together. And so I want to answer some of the questions that you guys may have about this subject of Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. Right, I posted this week on Facebook, and, um, and I said, hey, any of you guys have any questions, go ahead, feel free to ask, and I'll do my best to answer them on a Sunday morning. And so you guys have asked some questions, and I talked with Chuck and Dee, Dee who are deacons here over spiritual you know, development and of you know, inner healing. They lead our freedom group, and we talked about it. What are some of the big questions? I filtered it through with um, Brandon Stacy, who's also another deacon over leadership development here, and we came up with um, five questions that you guys asked that are over the subject of Satan, demons, and spiritual warfare. And I want to be able to help you, and I would love to be able to serve you as your pastor by answering some of these questions. I'm going to do my best to answer all five. If not, I'm just going to pick the ones that are most important. Okay, so here's some of the questions that you guys asked. The first question is this. 
Is it true that studying spiritual warfare means that you will be attacked? Okay, good question. I get this one actually a lot. A lot of people, they say, well, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to study it. Oh, pastor's preaching on demons. I'm going to miss this week because I don't want to be attacked. And so you think, well, if we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, then that means that I'm going to be opened up for an attack. And so a lot of people, they just don't want to study it or read it or learn about it. Okay, I, I say that's not very helpful for you. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, great book, he makes this quote where he says, there are two equal and opposite errors that people fall into in regards to demons. One is to have an unhealthy interest in them. Some of you, you have an unhealthy interest. You're like, yay, the demon sermon. I can't wait to go. It's going to be amazing because you see a demon in everything, right? Everything is demonic, right? You're like, oh my God, did you listen to Metallica's Black Album? (gasps) Satanic. Everything is demonic. And you're like, oh, I'm driving down the road. I got a flat tire. It's the flat tire demon. I spilt my coffee. It's the coffee demon. If you get a flat tire while you spill your coffee, it's legions. You are just (laughs) under attack, right? And, And everything is a demon. You're just like our first parents. You're just like Eve who says the devil made me do it. And you don't take responsibility for your own actions. And so some people, you are overly, unhealthily obsessed with Satan and demons. Others of you, you just reject them altogether. You don't study it. You don't learn about it. You don't want to talk about it because, well, you just don't know anything about it. Okay, both of those, both of those are not good options. Okay, the truth is we are in a war. But this war is between two kingdoms, good, evil, light, darkness. And this war has been raging forever. And the moment you raise your hand to become a Christian, you go from baptism to a battlefield. That's exactly what happens, that you are on the front lines of this kingdom assault against the enemy of darkness. And so you're going to war. You need to learn your enemy, right? How many of you would go to war and really just not know your enemy, right? That's, that's not a good, that's not a good idea, right? How many of you would go to war without your weapon? No, you're going to get hit. You're going to get shot. It's not the way that it works. You need to study. You need to learn who is Satan. How does he work? Like, what is his attacks against me? You know, where are my weapons? Who's my team? Who's my king? Who do I fight for? You're going to need to know all of those things. So that way you can be able to move forward and you can start to defend yourself. See, the truth is, is that you are already being attacked that you're already being hit, you're being shot, you're being attacked, Satan hates you, he wants nothing more than to take you out, you are already being attacked. How long does Satan have to keep punching you in the face until you say enough is enough and you stand up and you do something about it? Right, that's all I'm trying to say, that you need to begin to learn how to defend yourself, that you're just getting hit time after time and you think, does God hate me? No, there's another enemy. You think everything that bad happens in your life is God's fault. No, there's another enemy. It's not just you and God. There's also Satan and demons that hate you and want to attack you. How long do you have to keep getting hit and shot before you say, enough is enough. I'm going to learn how to defend myself. See, that's what I'm trying to say. So is it true that studying spiritual warfare means you'll be attacked? I'm going to say yes, because you're already being attacked. But studying them helps you know your enemy and know your weapon so you can actually finally start to do something about it. All right, so that's question number one. Question number two is this. What books would you recommend over spiritual warfare? I love this question because I love books. And anytime somebody asks me for a book, I'm like, that's my love language. I want to give you a book. And so I love you. And so I want to make some recommendations. Listen, there's a whole bunch of just trash and garbage out there over the subject of spiritual warfare, Satan and demons. Don't get your theology from YouTube. Right? Don't just read any self-published article. Don't read any self-published teacher. Right? You need to go to good places. You need to get good research. You need to get good Bible theology and doctrine. Right? Just don't read any TBN, Daystar nonsense that you see on TV. Get some good stuff in you. 
So I'm going to make some book recommendations. Okay, this is the gold star standard over spiritual warfare. It's three crucial questions by Clinton Arnold. Right, Clinton Arnold, he, he writes commentaries over Ephesians and Colossians. He is um, a scholar of the first rank, and he wrote this book. It's a great, helpful book. Another one is this, um, Peter Horobin, okay, Healing Through Deliverance. It's like 800 pages, so you're probably not going to read it on the beach, but it is, it is basically a textbook for everything in regards to angels, Satan, healing, and the demonic. This is um, probably my favorite. It's called Spiritual Warfare by Dr. Carl Payne. I, I love this because it's written by a guy who used to be a cessationist. And then all of a sudden he started encountering spiritual warfare and he changed his mind. Um, he is amazing. He writes from a Calvinistic, Reformed, and Charismatic tradition, just like me, so I'm kind of biased in that, and I would highly recommend. And then Sam Storms, he's pretty awesome. Uh, this is Tough Topics, 25 Crucial Questions, and it has three chapters over this subject. There's a lot of other things that you could find in there. That's good stuff. Okay, read these recommendations. I'll post them in our Connect page if you want to go buy them so you can learn and study for yourself so you can start to defend yourself. I'll make those today, this afternoon, uh, because those are some recommendations I would highly recommend for you. Uh, the third question is this. What's the difference between demonic possession and oppression? That is an amazing question. I get asked this one more than anything else, right? What is the difference between demonic possession and oppression. I think the difference is really in the words. Okay, I personally don't like the word possession. Okay, in the Bible, it doesn't use that term possession. The actual Greek is dynamitsamai. That means to be demonized. That means to be internally influenced, to have, you know, be dominated by, to be directed, to be um, empowered by the demonic. Okay, and so I don't really like the word possession. Um, I prefer the word demonized. But for the sake of this conversation, possession would be an internal influence, and then oppression would be an external attack. Okay, so that's kind of the difference. So, um, so possession, internally influence, right? This is what we see in Mark chapter 9 with the, the demoniac boy who is thrown into the fire in epileptic fits. This could also be legion in Mark chapter 5, the man who exhibits supernatural strength. He breaks the chains. This could also be things like clairvoyance or false spiritual gifts, like in Acts chapter 16 or 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. This is demonically influenced from an internal. That's the extraordinary demonic. But possession, in that terms that we're using here, that's kind of what you're thinking. And then oppression would be um, an external attack. So lies, deceit, error, um, just strong seasons of temptation to where it's just coming at you in every single direction and you don't know what to do. You don't know where it's coming from. You just feel beat up. You feel worn out. You feel depleted, that you're just depressed. You can't get out of bed and it comes out of nowhere. Right? That is a demonic attack from an external presence. Okay, and so that's kind of the way that we, we tend to think about it. So there is this internal influence and there is this external attack. But to be fair, the Bible, it doesn't really make that much of a difference, right? The Bible speaks just to be um, demonized, that um, it doesn't use these terms. There's not spheres or influences like this person has a baby demon. This person has a junior high demon. This person has a senior high college level demon. It doesn't make those distinctions. It just says a person is demonized. Okay, and so that's kind of the difference. The fourth question is this. I get asked this one a lot. Can a Christians be possessed? Okay, that is, that is a great question. Again, I don't think that the word possessed is helpful. See, possession determines ownership. Okay, that's kind of what possession means, that you own something. So can a Christian be owned by a demon? 
No. Right, Romans chapter 1 tells us that you are called to belong to Christ Jesus. That if you become a Christian, you belong to Jesus. That you are his possession. That you are the goods. The strong man has come and plundered and he's taken over. Right, so a Christian cannot belong to Satan. Okay, I don't think the word possessed is very helpful. That's why we go back to the word demonized. So can a Christian be owned by Satan? No. Right, can a Christian be influenced by demons? Yes. I'm going to say yes. That we can have our decisions influenced by demonic inspiration. We see it with um, Peter whenever he says, Lord, do not go to the cross. Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. His words, his actions, his thoughts at that moment were influenced by the demonic. We also see it in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. They determined that they were going to make a gift to the church. They lied about that gift. Peter turns to him and says, why has Satan filled your heart? that they were involved in the church, but they have been internally um, influenced by the decisions that they make. And then to be dominated. I know Christians, they are dominated by spiritual warfare. That they just believe lies, such strong lies about who God is, who they are, and what God wants for them, their church, their family, and they just believe such strong lies. Lies are demonic. And these lies, they begin to shape and form and filter all the decisions that they make. I know people who are so gripped and crippled by fear that they can't move. They can't do anything. They can't make a decision. That they are literally paralyzed by their fear. And the Bible talks about fear being demonic. Right? In 1 John 4, it says, it says that um, pure and perfect love casts out all fear. The same word that John uses in his epistle for cast out is the same word that John uses in his gospel to exercise demons. That pure and perfect love casts out fear. Elsewhere, Paul says that, that God did not give us a spirit of fear. Fear does not belong from God. Right? Because if you're living in fear, you cannot walk in faith. So fear does not belong. He did not give you that spirit that comes from something else, that comes from somewhere else. And I know many Christians, they are so gripped and crippled and bound by fear and lies and deception and accusations against them that it begins to change their life. That it affects their relationships, it affects their health, it affects um, their church, it affects their job, their family, their wealth, it affects every aspect of their life. And so they're bound in this. So can Christians be possessed Okay, in terms of ownership? No. But can a Christian be internally influenced or dominated? I'm going to say yes. And that's why it's so important for us to continually invite the strong man Jesus into our house so that he can rescue us, so that he can ransom us, that we do not live in habitual unrepentant sin, but we keep allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us. Because I'm going to say in severe occasions, this is possible. The next question is this. Last question. How does a person open themselves up to the demonic? Okay, this is a great question, and um, I'm going to use an illustration from Clinton Arnold in the three crucial questions. Right? He picks up this theme of the house. That's what, that's what Jesus says here, right? Your life is like a house. And so he gets this illustration from Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 12 about this idea of your life is a house. You live in this house. I have a whole sermon over this at the beginning of Mark. Um, Jesus' temptation, Jesus and demons from chapter one. You can go back and you can listen to it, but for now, let me answer this. Uh, your life is like a house. You live in it, right? And, and so through habitual, unrepentant, repeated patterns of sin and wickedness and ignorance and following the Lord, what you are doing is you are giving the enemy access and rights to your house. That the strong man, Satan, he's going to come in and he's going to knock on your door, right? And then you're going to open that door. 
right? Knocking on the door, that's temptation. You giving into that temptation, it's actually the opening of the door. How does a strong man get into your house? Well, you let him in, right? You let him into your house through temptation and through giving into that temptation. And the strong man comes in, he binds you, he holds you hostage, he holds you captive, you've let him in. Right? And so how many of you tonight, you would go to bed with your door wide open, your windows wide open, and you would put a big sign in front of the yard with lights on, say, hey, nobody's home, come in, beat me up and take all my stuff. I mean, none of you would do that. But the moment that you live in unrepented sin, that's exactly what you're doing every day. That you're living your life just simply opening that door. See, sin is not just breaking of a law. Sin is also the opening of a door. And so you're giving the enemy access and rights to come in and take all your stuff. And yes, Satan doesn't own your house, but why are you letting him sleep on your couch? So what are some ways in which Christians repeatedly open themselves up to the demonic? Okay, I I wrote some things down for you. So here's here's some of the ways that I I regularly see people doing this. Um, 2 Corinthians 7, 5 talks about sexual sin. This is any sexual sin outside of biblical heterosexual, one man, one woman, in the covenant of God, sexual sin. It opens the door. So this is like sex before marriage. This is dating relationships between Christians and non-Christians. This is, you know, tender. That's no other way than just for young men to be demonically inspired to take advantage of women. I mean, it's just horrible. I mean, this is hookup, shackup, breakup culture. This is sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, bisexuality, transgenderism, rape, molestation, anything you can think of. All that is is the opening of a door. It also talks about bitterness, anger, and unforgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says just going to bed angry, being unwilling to forgive another person, living in great bitterness, that's an open door. It allows Satan a foothold in your life because bitterness is torture. Not for the other person, it's torture for you. And that Satan is tormenting and torturing you because you're unwilling to forgive. And if you think about it, there is no forgiveness for Satan. And if you offer no forgiveness to another person, you're just joining his team unforgiveness, addictions. Ephesians 5 talks about alcoholism, right? Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're giving into addictions, drugs, um, alcohol, uh, porn addictions, whatever your addiction is, gluttony, pride, food, whatever it is, you're giving into these addictions, you're giving him access, you're opening a door. Greed, Acts chapter 5, 1 Timothy 6, to love money, to want money, to do anything that you can to have money, that you want prestige, you want power, you want pride. Love is, or The love of money is the root of all evil. That's an open door for you. Lies, John 8, 44, that Satan is a liar. He is the father of lies. He's been lying since the very beginning. His native language is lie. And so when you tell lies, spread lies, promulgate lies, what you're doing is you're speaking a demonic love language. He loves it when you lie. In addition, Satan is this liar and he's gonna lie to you and he's gonna tell you horrible, wicked, nasty things. And then if you believe that lie, even believing lies begins to open that door. Some of you have been lied to over and over again about who God is, who you are in light of that. And you believe these lies. A lie need not be true to be powerful. It just needs to be believed. If I were to come to you and to say, your husband is cheating on you. If you believe me, it'll destroy your marriage. If I come to you and say, you have cancer and you have a month to live, if you believe me, it'll destroy your life. A lie need not be true to be powerful. It just needs to be believed. And some of you, you have believed such strong lies about God. 
All that is is an open door. Um, vague spirituality, 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Do not trust every spirit, but test the spirits because not every spirit comes from God. There is Jesus and there is Satan. There is the Holy Spirit and there are unclean spirits. And I see this so often in our day. The greatest problem that we have is not like they had in Jesus' day where they believed in what's called twoism. According to them, they knew Jesus, Satan, kingdom of the world, kingdom of God. They understood that. Today, the great danger that we face is one is that we don't believe that there is good and there is evil, there is light and there is dark, there is, you know, Jesus and there is Satan. No, we say everything's one, that everything's exactly the same, that you get to decide what your truth is, you live your truth, you pick your truth, what's true for you is true for me, maybe not, maybe we can just paint with all the colors of the rainbow and we can just do whatever it is that we want because everything is exactly the same, that's not true. That there is light, there is darkness, there is good, there is evil, there is Jesus, there is Satan. And anything that does not stand with Jesus stands in the kingdom of darkness. And I see a lot of people, they, they come in and they say, you know what, I'm just going to make up my own religion. right? I'm just going to be very spiritual. So I'm going to take some Wicca, I'm going to take some New Age, I'm going to you know, have some Sufi philosophers, do some Eastern chants. Right, I'm going to have some Catholicism and syncretism, throw them all together, here's Allah, here's Islam. You know, I just invented a new religion. No, you didn't. You invented an old religion. It comes from the pits of hell, right? It is in of itself demonic. You're not being enlightened. You are being darkened. And you're saying, Byron, do you really believe that any other religion outside of Jesus is demonic? Yes, I believe that. Because here we see that Jesus refers to Beelzebul. Okay? That's a Canaanite God. And Jesus calls it Satan, that any other religion outside of Christianity, it bows and bends its knees to the devil itself. And Satan, he doesn't care if you call him Satan. He doesn't care if you believe in hell as long as you go there. So yeah, I'm going to say that. And this idea of vague spirituality, people are like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Both are wrong. Right? Don't be religious, don't be spiritual. You need to be a Christian. Right? So vague spirituality is an open door in your life. And then the next one is accusations. Revelation 12 10, that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, that he accuses people day in, day out. And many of you, you hear these accusations all the time, that you hear, you are worthless, you are stupid, you are fat, you are ugly, you are unworthy, nobody likes you, nobody wants you, nobody wants you around, you should just leave, you should never come back, you should just kill yourself. And you think it's negative self-talk, and you think it's just low self-esteem, but really it's just demonic accusation against you that he is speaking lies over you. And it's coming all the time. Some of you hear voices. Some of you can't sleep at night. Some of you, it just, just drives you all the time that there are these accusations and you feel like you're going crazy because it's coming from nowhere. And you know, if a person talked to you like that in real life, then you would punch him in the face. You'd call the cops. You'd get him out of there. But because it's coming from an invisible force, you don't see it. You don't know what it is. And so you just end up believing it. Many of you, you have these accusations in your life. And if you come into agreement with it, all that is is just an opening of a door. And some of you are thinking, really? Seriously? Right? I do this stuff all the time. I know. And that's the reason that the love of God has grown cold for you. And that's the reason that God seems distant and detached, that he is far off. That's the reason you can't pray, you can't read your Bible, you can't live in community, you don't want to go to church because you are always distracted because there's these open doors in your life. 
That's the reason that, that life is hard and life is hell and that it's a war for you and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do. It's because you keep opening those doors. What you need is you need to let the strong man come in. You need to let Jesus, the true strong man, come in, knock down that door, bind the enemy so that he can set you free. You need to get up. You need to shut those doors because this life is a war. Listen, I'm not trying to scare you, but I do want to make you aware that I love you, I care for you, and I'm sick and tired of seeing the enemy just beat you up. I'm sick and tired of people coming in, calling me into my office saying, this happened again, and this happened again, and I see you hurting, and I see you broken, and I see you believing the lies and pulling yourself back, and I'm sick and tired of seeing Satan attack you, attack my friends, attack my family, attack my church. I'm sick of it. And I want to give you the resources and the help and the tools to be able to fight for yourself. That I can pray for you, I can love you, and I can fight for you. But you're going to need to pick up your weapon. You're going to need to pick up your sword. And you're going to need to learn how to fight back. I don't want you to be scared, but I do want you to make you aware that Satan is real, hell is real, demons are real, and they're really at work in the world. They hate you. They want to take you out. They are powerful. They are great. And they are strong. But so is Jesus that Jesus is great and that Jesus is powerful and that Jesus is the true strong man and where Satan comes to bring destruction in your life, Jesus has come to bring deliverance, that we are in a war and Jesus is our king and that Jesus, he is victorious, that Jesus, he leaves heaven, he enters into this world, that he makes a public spectacle of Satan and demons, that he on the cross bound the enemy, and then one day when he returns, our great warrior, Jesus Christ, our God, Savior, King, he's going to grab that serpent by its neck, hold him in front of everyone, chop his head off, cast him down into the lake of fire, and Jesus, our King, wearing a white robe dipped in blood with a sword in his hand, fire in his eyes and a tattoo down that says king of kings lord of lords you don't have to be afraid of satan because jesus has given you authority over him you don't have to be afraid of demons because jesus has come to be deliverance this is our king this is our god this is our war this is our fight stand up hold your ground shut that door and join the war Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.